Hi everyone, welcome back to Ferocious Compassion. This is episode eight. Today I'm talking with Nina Manelson, who is a body peace coach. This is such a timely interview due to the fact that we're coming into the holiday season and you know everybody gets all wigged out about food, right? So please listen all the way through. She has such timely and powerful advice around food and body. Nina helps women end the war with food and body and finally feel truly at home in their body, really at home. She is a certified psychology of eating teacher, the nationally board certified holistic health coach and certified body trust guide. She helps her clients move past the deprivation diet paradigm and into a compassionate and powerful way of eating and living, which creates deep, long-lasting change in and with their bodies. Nina works with individuals, groups, and writes body poems, all in service of helping women create a respectful and nourishing relationship with their body. I know you're going to love this one. Let's get going. Welcome, Nina. I'm so excited that you're here with me today. Jane, thank you for having me. I just feel as though your work that you're doing in the world is so profound. And I want to make sure that I put the right words to it and the, and the right meaning for the, the true, what I believe to be the preciousness of this work that you do. Mm. And I always like to start my interviews by asking you, what did you learn about compassion when you were growing up? Mm-hmm. So compassion wasn't a word <laughs> when I was growing up. <laughs> Okay. Like it wasn't a word that was used, but the action of compassion was the action of caring about other people, about thinking about how something might impact somebody and being gentle. So I do think that that was modeled in certain ways in my family of origin. Um, I think because there was a fair amount of loss, you know, my dad had lost his parents young. So there was a sort of a, a sense of, of gentleness, a sense of softness that surrounded the understanding that people suffer mm. um, and that people have come to the table with different experiences, abilities, privileges, so I think that, that that lens of of being aware of somebody's history was present in my growing up life. And I do think that that showed up as compassion. What's interesting is that a lot of my work that I do is about self-compassion. That was not modeled. Mm -hmm. very different 
right? You can show, and you know, I love, you probably know this, the, the root word of compassion to suffer with, mm-hmm. right? So this idea that, that I was taught to, to reach into, to understand, to be sensitive to other people's sufferings, but your own, eh, not so much. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Your own, you should push through your own. You just try a little harder. That's how I grew up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. almost as though, you know, the compassion that we were shown was, like you say, just completely outside of us. Yes. And, you know, I grew up in that sort of madman era where it was like, if you had a feeling or an emotion, which I always had like 10 million of every day, mm-hmm. if I would approach my parents, and want to talk to them about it, they would say, just go outside and play. Mm. And that's what all my friends' parents were saying to them as well. Just go Mm -hmm. outside and play. Right. And it's not that they were intentionally trying to harm us or anything, but that's what everyone was telling their kids, or at least a lot of people were telling their kids in those days. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I always think about someone like you, when you had and saw those messages in your childhood and then as you're developing into a young adult and a young woman how did that lead you onto the path of the work that you're offering now yeah so that sense of not being able to turn that kindness towards myself was absolutely mirrored in the diet culture around me, right? So one of the ways to sort of pull yourself up from the bootstraps and improve yourself and be a better person, especially a better young woman, was to have a small body. Right. Right? And in that realm of food and eating, there is no space for (laughs) self-compassion, right? This was a space of willpower. This was a space of trying to get it right of eating the right things and not eating those wrong things, right? Mm -hmm. There's a sense of of correctness, of rules that were to be followed. And if you didn't follow, well, you certainly didn't deserve any Mm self-compassion. You deserved, you know, shame and blame. And so that from there, you were like, oh gosh, well, I just better double down my efforts. Mm-hmm. And that was not just, you know, family dynamics. That's a whole culture. That's historical impact of a culture that's based on misogyny and patriarchy and racism, right? Where women who are in large black bodies were not acceptable right? The whole fat activist body positive movement comes out of Black women claiming space, Mm -hmm. right? So it's my upbringing was, well, if you want to be accepted and powerful in this world, you better get small. Yes. Right? You know, it it seems like I, I, last year I started watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm Mm-hmm. And have you seen that? Yes. So 
you you know the message is in there i mean like the mother is just like she never eats right she eats like a biscuit a day and yes they're constantly having these conversations about how they're both probably anorexic yep absolutely right and it's that idea of actually glorifying eating disorders and disordered eating right oh isn't that wonderful how small you are so that trains us into this place where there's no room for kindness towards ourselves. There's no room for hunger or desire or pleasure, right? So what happens is we developed and I developed a nice healthy war within myself around food and body. Mm-hmm. And that war is what led me to do this work of body peace. Because really what happens when we're at war with ourselves is it's the antithesis of compassion and spaciousness and, you know, generosity and creativity and like life juiciness. It's the antithesis. So what we want is to have a relationship that is nourishing, that is fun, that is yummy, that feels good, that feels like we're at home in our own skin. Right? Oh, and, and we're talking about every single woman on the planet. Yes. Every single woman. And, and so when I, when I think about your term body piece, I just, I, I long for you to define and I know this could take forever, but if there's any way to summarize, what does body peace feel and, and, and look like for us? Yeah. So body peace is a relationship. That's the first thing, mm-hmm. right? Fundamentally, body peace is a relationship that is based on respect. It's based on kindness. It's based on consideration. It's based on on a sense of of presence, right? So I often think of like, there are countries that are not like best buddies. They're not like super in love with each other. If you think of like, I don't know, Israel and Egypt, right? They're not buddy, buddy, but they're not at war, right? They They have peace right now. They don't love everything about each other. They don't take each other out on dates, but they are civil. They are, they are working on a foundation of mutual listening. It's so fascinating how you're describing this because it, it makes me think about how like with diet culture, so a person embarks on a diet thinking that if they just behave this certain way for a certain amount of time and follow the rules on the other side of it, they will have this new sense of self and personhood that will absolve them from everything else. Yes. A hundred percent. It's what I call, <laughs> it's, it's what I call the flyover. So, <laughs> okay. Um, because we, most women are in two relationships with their bodies either body hate and body shame, that's one, or body management. Body mm-hmm. management is I'm on the next diet. What is it? How should I do it? Oh my God. Like it's, it's, and when we go from 
oh, I've been on this diet, I'm going to do it, this is it, I'm going to make it work this time. And then we don't, and it feels, we feel like a failure. And then we end up back in body blame, body shame, body hate. Then we go, oh my gosh, I better do something about that. Then we're back in body management, right? That's the diet cycle going around and around. That's where most women live. And then they go, you know what? I've had it. That's it. I'm going to start loving my body. And they're like, okay, so uh, I'm going to either diet my way there, or I'm just going to like affirm my way there. And it's this idea of like flying into body love, like as though there's this, this relationship that I'm going to have with my body. And it's much more complex. And I think that there's something much more powerful to reach for, to, to sink into than body love, which often feels unattainable, which is body peace. Right, because when we practice body peace, we're in that place of listening to our body. We bring curiosity to the language of our body, right? Our body speaks in sensation. We honor the journey our bodies traveled. We listen to that body story and know that it has wisdom, right? We, res we respond to the deep needs, the desires of our body. We foster a sense of trusting our body, right? We nourish ourselves well and we cultivate kindness and caring, right? We fundamentally body peace is treating our body like someone we care about, someone with whom we want to deepen our relationship with. So audacious, Nina. <laughs> it's so audacious. It's like, it's it like you know, it's, it's fierce and audacious. And it the is. definition is so good the way you have it, the body peace, because it's, it's now to me, this sounds like a daily practice. It is. It is so much so a practice, which is a very different paradigm than this place of I, I'm striving to be at X weight. And when I get there, then I am in success, right? There are countless women I talk to who are like, well, I'm afraid I'm going to fail again. Mm -hmm. The thing about body pieces, you can't fail. It's a practice. It's, it's showing up, being in true relationship with yourself, healing the places that feel like, I don't want to be in a relationship with you. I feel hurt. I feel traumatized. I feel like I have unresolved grief. I feel like I, I'm afraid, right? Mm -hmm. We want to hear those stories that our body is holding. Yes. Yes. And it's so interesting too, because every single woman I know has had the experience numerous, numerous times of making huge sacrifices or adjustments to get their body to do this thing or to look this way, only to find that it doesn't really last. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry to laugh, but honestly, the statistics are such that 95% of women who go on or and men Mm -hmm. who go on diets within two to five years, they will gain their way back, if not more. And the analogy I often use is, would you buy a car that they said, you know what? In two to five years, this car is going to stop working. In fact, it's going to start driving backwards. <laughs> You'd be like, no. I am not going to buy this car. And yet that's what we buy from diet culture every single day. We'd be like, I want to drive a car that will actually 
take me the duration. Yes. And that's the journey we want to be on. We want to be on the path of body peace because that's sustainable. That's a relationship with our body that will last till we're a hundred. The dieting relationship lasts for two to five years and then we're frustrated. Then we feel worse, right? The most common result of diets is not weight loss. It's more diets. Okay. So we're, we're almost into Thanksgiving season at the airing of, of this. And I wonder if you could help our listeners with a few golden nuggets. Mm-hmm. What would be some ways that they could alleviate their suffering during the holiday season? Yeah. yeah. Especially in the time of COVID when we're all feeling really raggedy anyway that's so perfectly said (laughs) we are feeling raggedy oh my gosh everyone everyone all together yeah yeah so here's I wonder if I could respond in uh, one of my favorite ways to express myself which is uh, my body poems oh yes I saw, I love your body poems. Please do. Yes, I would love that. So it's been a few years now that I've started writing poems to talk about our relationship with our body and our food and, and a way to find words that go with this relationship. So it just comes up because everybody's really under a lot of stress right now. So, um, and Thanksgiving, like, am I with family? Mm-hmm. Am I willing to be with family? Does that stress me out that I'm with family? Then I choose to be with family. Is someone going to get COVID? Now I'm really stressed. Now I'm stress eating, right? It gets right. so complicated right now. So this is a poem called Stress Eating. Ooh, perfect. Yeah. So we say it like it's a bad word. I was stress eating, followed by self-blame and shame, like something's wrong with us. But if we strip away the stigma, stress, is eating, stress eating is survival, is coping, is desperately longing for soothing. So let's listen with deep understanding to the stress, to the eating, and respond with kindness. Say, of course, I am stressed. These are wild and stressful times. Of course, I'm eating. Eating is a symbol of survival. Of course I'm stressed. There's too much expected from me right now. Of course I'm eating. Eating is my will to live. Instead of seasoning your food with shame, how about digesting it with understanding and compassion? Gentleness needs to be the first responder to our stress, to our needs, to our hunger, not judgment. Oh my goodness. That almost took my breath away. Mm. You know, it's almost like a prayer. It's, it's very, what you're talking about is, is so essential to the parts of ourselves that we really don't acknowledge, which is that need for such tender, loving care. It just feels so natural to 
to be in that space. And I also think about when I was listening to you read that, I think about pace and slowness. And I wonder if, if that's part of it too, is slowing down when we're eating and really noticing what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a, there's, there's a basic practice that this is to answer the first question, which is what's something you can take to the table with you for Thanksgiving, for any meal. And I call this the hello technique. Um, there's, there's a lot of sort of science and, and little more nuance than I can give you in this moment, sure. but there's, it's three phrases that have incredible power because they have the power of putting you into relationship with your body and your food. And the phrases are this, hello, food, hello, body, hello, pleasure. If we can come to the table and just take a breath and presence ourselves, like, hello, oh, I'm in a, hello, I'm starting a relationship. I'm engaged with you. Oh, okay, hello, food. Oh, I'm actually eating. Yep, there's food. I'm eating. We're in a relationship. How do I feel about that food? Where'd that food come from? Who made that food, right? Mm -hmm. Hello, body. Oh, I'm in a body. How do I feel in that body? How hungry am I? How satisfied am I? How stressed am I? What does it feel like to be in this body? And then hello, pleasure. Oh, that's what this experience is supposed to be. It's supposed to be pleasurable and delicious and yummy, right? Oh, what would that feel like? Am I having a pleasurable experience? Is this food yummy? Do I actually want to be eating it? Right. So there, as I said, there's a lot more to that hello technique. I call it the eat on purpose technique also. There's a lot more to it, but it's something to start playing with because it puts us into that relationship that we want with our body, the relationship we want with our food. Because if we can move out of body management, if we can move out of the shame and blame, and move into an authentic relationship of awareness, curiosity, trust, engagement, listening, compassion. That's how we get to body peace. Mm. It's fascinating just to think about how much pressure there is every day about food and how I love this concept of just having a relationship with food that can be real and present as opposed to nope food's over there i'm over here almost yes. like a denial or a food as being seen as dangerous yes food as dangerous and our body as a thing mm -hmm. right oh i don't want to put that dangerous food in this thing <laughs> right it's like whoa hold on a second right mm. this is not a thing yeah nina i know there's going to be so many people listening to this that are just going to be saying, I want to, I want to know more. I want to, I want to get started on this. I want to learn like what, what I know you have so many beautiful courses. How would you encourage people to begin? Yeah. So one thing is I'm always open to a conversation, you know, reach out to me. My website is ninamanelson.com and 
my email is nina ninamandelson.com so reach out to me and we can have a conversation about what's the right next step some possible next steps are i have a compassionate eating course um i also have a body listening lab um and I also have a very powerful year-long real deep dive into shifting the relationship out of that place of war into peace, which is the body peace path. There's different yeah. options. Um, and I always like to figure out like, where's somebody at? What's the right next step? Mm -hmm. What's the compassionate eating Sounds beautiful. Yeah. So the compassionate eating course is so powerful because what we're really looking at is the three major kind of obstacles or issues that keep us in what I call the pit of shame. Mm -hmm. right? Because so many of us know what we should, and I'm putting that in air quotes, yeah. what we should be doing to tend to ourselves and care for ourselves and feed ourselves well. But we don't. And that gap between what we know and what we do ends up being the pit of shame, right? Mm -hmm. We're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe mm -hmm. I did it. Oh my God, <laughs> right? So there's three things in that space that we need to unpack to, to bridge the gap. So the compassionate eating course is really about getting in there to bridge that gap between what we know and then actually doing the things that tend and care and support us, not from a place of restriction, not from a place of buying into the oppression of diet culture, not from the place of, you know, what's the next latest greatest list of 10 foods mm -hmm. that I should and shouldn't eat, but from that place of deep caring. This is so good. Can I ask you something? I, I'm curious. So last time I went to the doctor, I had my labs done and they said, Ooh, your cholesterol is a little high and your blood sugar is a little high. You should eat this many carbs a day. And, and, I, and then I talked to all these other people who've had the same experience. And so it's almost like a threat against, you know, what I'm eating versus my overall health and how that could impact my life. And I wonder how that sort of thing plays into your work. Yeah, that's such a powerful question. So there's many levels to that question. One is the space that doctors get into when they start telling women or men what to eat and how to eat. So first of all, when doctors prescribe a diet, they are doing harm. Right, because what what do we know about diets? What happens out of diets? People do more diets. What people do more diets, they move into disordered eating. Disordered eating gets worse. They move into self hatred and often eating disorders. Right, like it mm -hmm. is. If your primary objective is to do no harm, as soon as you say to somebody, "How you might want to think about losing some weight and eat this and don't eat that," like watch yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's one piece. The other piece is this whole aspect of. Um, really before doctors or any healthcare worker opens their mouth to give prescriptive eating advice, does that person have a history of chronic dieting? Does that person have an eating disorder history? Does that person tend towards a self-critical mindset that this will make them more critical, mm -hmm. right? Again, how does this instruction create 
harm and disharmony and lack compassion and listening into who you're saying that to. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. It just gets me very angry and on fire about how doctors are doing harm by giving prescriptive either nutrition advice or weight loss advice. Because really we know weight loss advice doesn't do anything. It just makes people feel bad and less likely than to turn back to their doctors. So that's one thing. The other very important thing that you said in there, which is, look, I have some health issues. Some of my, the metrics that I'm measuring besides weight, which I do not think is a metric of a good metric of health. Mm -hmm. We have much more interesting and more powerful metrics of health, right? So, okay, I'm, I'm concerned with my blood pressure. I'm concerned with cholesterol. I'm concerned with these other metrics that are interesting metrics. Like, okay, let's work with that. Great. So your body is saying, hey, over here, I have a special need. I am a special needs body. And right now I'm needing some tending to, I'm needing some caring, I'm needing specific responses. All right, so how do we respond to this body with that listening, but without the restriction? It's a very powerful combination to work with from a place of deep respect of what our body's needs are and without going, okay, now's the extreme makeover time because extreme makeovers do not last. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was so glib the way the doctor was like, well, you should just eat 50 carbs a day. Wow. That's not very many carbohydrates. I don't really eat a, you know, a lot or I don't, I mean, I'm not, I don't know how many carbs. I don't think I even eat a hundred carbs a day anyway, whatever that is. But I just thought it was interesting how she threw that metric out there. Well, and also let's vilify carbs, Uh huh. right? Let's vilify yeah. an entire macronutrient. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right? Macronutrients are nutrients, mm -hmm. you know, carbohydrates, <laughs> fat and protein. They're macronutrients because our body actually requires them. We've it, gone carb crazy in this world. We Nina. have gone absolutely carb crazy now. So it, it, to me, it just like, ah, enrages mm -hmm. me that a doctor would glibly, oh, this is how many carbs. Do you know anything about how I eat? Have you asked me how I eat? Have you asked me what kind of movement makes me happy? Have you asked me about my diet history, mm -hmm. right? Because so many of us have done them all, yes. right? So it feels um, superficial, it feels irresponsible, and it feels um, not helpful, actually, to give those kind of instructions. A more helpful response is, oh, it looks like some of these metrics we want to pay attention to. What have you tried? Here are some other things that we can look at. What would interest you, right? Let's engage in the relationship with your body and her needs. Let's not just manage her. This is genius. <laughs> I really, I just, I'm so impressed with what you do. I really admire your work. It's phenomenal how you've laid out something that it almost feels to me like a practice that people, everyone could have in their daily toolkit of self-care, which self-care is such an overused term. I feel like we need to come up with a new one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it, it really is about responding mm -hmm. because if we take this, this concept of relationship 
what makes a really, really, really juicy, good relationship? We feel heard. We feel responded to, right? Mm. We do feel cared for, but that's, it's, it comes, that care comes from a deep place of, I see and hear you. I see the whole story of your life. I see that you're sad that your teenage body is no longer on you at age 55. I see that, you know, the injury that's left you with not full mobility in your shoulder has made you, you know, grieve some of the movements you used to do perfectly. Like Mm -hmm. there's, when we Mm -hmm. really are holding the story of our body, I see the trauma, the sexual violation, the accident, the illness, whatever it is, then from that place, we can be treating our body like she was holy, like she is sacred, right? That's where we want to be living because from that place, we treat ourselves very differently. We do not impose restriction from a place of tightness, we might say, you know what, honey, that whatever it is, is going to raise your blood sugar through your the roof, and that's not going to support your diabetes. So let's see, what else can we come up with that will give you pleasure and joy? Yes. Right? It's very different than you're not allowed those. Uh-uh-uh. It's, it's so heavy handed. And, and, you know, I have a little secret to share with you. Yes. So <laughs> I taught yoga for 20 years literally thousands of hours of yoga. And I guess I thought I was being in a place that was fairly gentle and tender with myself during those years mm-hmm. until in 2018, I had a serious accident and broke my leg in two places, tore a mm. major ligament and dislocated my ankle. Wow. Had to have a couple of surgeries. And it was only then that I really realized how to be truly tender and gentle with my body. So the the things that you're saying, the way you're saying them just really resonate with me right now. It's taking compassion to that cellular level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way I was going to get through that if I didn't behave that way. Yeah. And I also changed my relationship with food during that time because food became something that was really nourishing to me and something mm-hmm. that I really paid attention to yeah. in a whole new way. Ah, just really stoked about your work. And I want to ask you, as we come to the end of our talk today, if you could share with us, where are you finding refuge right now? Where do you seek refuge? <laughs> so right now, I am seeking a refuge in water. Ooh, tell us. Water is like, I am just finding I need water in all ways. I need to be drinking more water because my nervous system is cranked up, right? And I just, I need to be drinking water. I do floats, those isolation tank floats so that I can get in water. I take baths filled with two cups of Epsom salts and coconut oil and essential oils. And my big new toy is that I bought myself a wetsuit so that I can swim. I'm on the East Coast and I and I and it's cold now. Mm-hmm. And so I can swim in the cold. 
and so that I can get in water and I get in there and I'm like, like whether it's the bath or the shower or the float tank or the, or the pond, I'm like, oh my gosh, flow, things move, things change. It's like my nervous system needs that on some very deep level. I've always uh, been a swimmer and connected to water, but like right now I need it. I like need it. <laughs> what a beautiful invitation. I think that before I say goodbye to you today, I want to let you know that I'm going to go and run a bath and I'm going to pour a giant glass of water. <laughs> lay in the bathtub with a giant glass of water. Yeah. Yeah. Nina, so good. Thank you so much for joining me today. Mm, totally my privilege and delight, Jane, mm. truly. Mm. Much love to you. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for being here, you guys. I really appreciate you showing up and listening in. My intention in every Ferocious Compassion episode is to explore how compassion shows up in our lives and to give us a bigger idea about what it means to self-reflect, go inward, and really know ourselves. I think we live in a world where we're constantly distracted. Technology is exhausting, and we're always waiting for the next news cycle. Taking time out to go within is never, ever a waste of time, and is always going to be relevant no matter what the outer circumstances. You'll learn more self-trust, authenticity, and develop a higher confidence in who you are and what you know, which really helps you to shape your life vision and create intentions that really align with who you really are from the inside out. I'm currently teaching a beta group for my program called Within. So this is a new thing for me. As most of you know, I was teaching retreats in Italy and other places for the past 15 years, and that's obviously all been changed. So I've created a program that mirrors what I teach on my retreats, particularly longer ones, and I'm doing it virtually. And we really dive deeply into self-knowing, reflection, self-awareness, practices that bring us closer to who we really are. We're learning that we're not putting our own worth and well-being on the back burner and that our well-being is a top priority and we're committed to making it so. To learn more about Within and how to be part of this movement, you'll find a link in the show notes to sign up. Also, it's really becoming obvious to me that I waited too long to do this. I guess I figured that being live and in person was the only way to go. So I'm learning a lot about my own process creatively and as a leader and as a teacher, and it's really been a delight. I hope that you'll enjoy this episode, and I hope that you'll take real good care of yourself in the days to come. Bye-bye.